Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. The question I want to ask today is, could you make it without the church? Could you make it into God's kingdom without the church? Now, first of all, let me try to explain two sides of the coin or two sides of the same coin, maybe, of what I mean by church. There is a physical church on this earth, and then there is a spiritual church. And it's important to make that distinction between the two as to understanding exactly what the church is. Now, let's, let's uh, understand the spiritual side of the church. It's the description of this, of what this spiritual entity is called the church, is found in Hebrews 12 and verse 23. And it says this, it says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, this is a description of what I call the spiritual church. In other words, this church, you know, it's it's the begettal stage of this church begins when God calls an individual. Uh, The person responds to that calling. Uh, They go down in the waters of baptism and receive the spirit of God. And that spirit that you now have unites with the spirit in man and a new creature in Christ starts to be developed. And it's a process. It's a process of conversion. It's a process of overcoming sin. It's a process of putting sin out, putting Christ in, putting sin out. And it really is a process of the perfecting of the character of a a human being. And uh, ultimately, at the resurrection, that um, new creature in Christ that will be given a spiritual body and um, be joined into the family of God as a child of God. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word is ecclesia. It means a calling out, a calling out of select individuals. It's referred to, they are referred to by God as the first fruits. And this church um, plays a major role in God's future plans and objectives. And so when you're a part of this spiritual church, you understand what God's uh, plans and objectives are. I mean, what, what is he working toward? You understand that. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, you can find this in Matthew 19 and verse 28. He said, he said that you, speaking of his disciples who have followed me in this regeneration, when the son of man shall sit in the throne, in his, in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So they were very aware because God, Christ had just told them of their position in this soon coming kingdom of God, the government of God that would be established on this earth at Christ's return. Also, Ezekiel 37 and verse 24 says that David will be over you know, also over these 12 disciples or the 12 tribes of Israel. It says, and David, my servant, this is Ezekiel 37 and verse 24, and David, my servant shall be king over them. And they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. 
Another verse, Jeremiah 30 and verse 9. Speaking of David, King David, that we find in the Bible, in the Old Testament, says, And they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. So this is part of that spiritual organism, that spiritual church called the Church of God, where God will fulfill his desires and purposes in, in, in establishing that government, that kingdom on this earth. Now, you might say, okay, that's, that's fine for David and the apostles, I mean, the disciples, excuse me, but what about us? What about the saints? Well, Daniel answers that question, Daniel 7 and verse 18. Notice this, it says, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. Daniel 7, let's skip on down, Daniel 7 and verse 22. And until the ancients of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. Notice that, judgment, discernment was given to the uh, saints of the Most High. The ability to judge a situation and make a decision. Judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Uh, skipping on down to verse 27. And the kingdoms and dominions and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So again, when Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he's talking about this spiritual church that that exists uh, today that has existed for the past 2,000 years where God has been calling out a select individuals called the first fruits who will play a major role in God's future plans and objective. In fact, in Acts 3 and verse 21, there's this powerful statement that says, whom the heaven, speaking of Jesus here, it says, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things. What are we talking about? The time of restitution of all things. We're talking about the government of God on this earth. We're talking about the return of Jesus Christ to this earth, earth and the establishment of the kingdom of God on this earth. Now let's read it again. Whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So I come back to the statement, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. Now here's the thing. You can't join this church. You can't say, well, God, I want you to write my name, you know, up in heaven. You can't do it. It's by invitation only. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the father draw him. So, you know, I mean, whatever the concepts, illusions are out there with mainstream churchianity, this church, this spiritual organism called the Church of God is something that you can only enter into by invitation. God has to call you. God has to call you. So here we, we're dealing with, you know, the, the spiritual side of the church. Now let's take a look at the physical side of the church. Now, the physical side of the church is that these churches exist. You know, they can be organized. 
these churches can, the physical church. They can, people can meet in homes. They can be three or four people meeting in a home. They can be independent groups. You know, often these churches are few and far between. They are scattered throughout the landscape. I know when God first called me, I would drive, we would drive three hours one way just to get to church and then three hours back. I mean, it was an all day long ordeal just going to church. But we kept that up for about two or three years, I believe. Yeah, three years. We would drive all the way to Statesville, North Carolina, and all the way back just to be with the physical church. Okay? So when I asked the question, could you make it without the church? The question I'm asking is, could you make it without the physical church? Now, the answer, the simplistic answer is yes, you could make it without the physical church. But without the leadership of the Holy Spirit, no, you cannot make it into God's kingdom without having the Holy Spirit of God. You must have the Spirit of God. There's a friend that, that uh, calls me sometime, and um, his name is Ron. He's, he, uh, he encourages me, and, and just uh, I sometimes think God speaks through him to me, uh, but I wouldn't tell him that, but maybe he'll hear this message later. I don't know. But anyway... Um, he, he says, he says to me, he says, David, you don't realize how lucky you are. You got a church there. You got a fellowship group and where I live, we don't have anything. We don't have anything to go to no church, no physical church, but I don't know which one of us, you know, Ron or me has the greatest, greater potential of drawing closer to God. You know, he, you know, me with a church or Ron without a church. You know, it really depends on the church and the spirit of that church. In other words, what's, whether growth can be achieved or accomplished or not, it depends largely on the spirit of the church. You see, with groups of people, you have something called group think. And people follow the spirit of a church instead of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And don't ever make the assumption that the two are the same. That just because you're in a church, do not assume that that church is totally and completely being led by the Holy Spirit of God. You know, when you don't allow the Spirit to work through each individual, and it's only one person in charge, or only the ministry in charge... You sort of cut, cut yourself off from the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Let, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, because that may be a little bit hard to understand, that when you don't allow the Spirit to work through each individual in a church, and it's only one person in charge, or only the ministry in charge, and your people are more like peons that just sit there and take up seat space. You know, let, let, let me give you an example of what I'm trying to say here. Let, let, let's say you've got a church that a group of people, and they they... They wouldn't mind some praise and worship music, you know. Now, they've been singing the old songs, you know, in the hymns and the 16 and 1800 songs. And they are good. They're very good. But, but they have deep meaning and all that. But, but the whole church would like to add a little bit, just here and there on a few, on a, you know, maybe a few songs here and there. Just add them into the worship service. Some praise and worship music. And the church... Everybody agrees to this except one deacon in the church. He's a stickler. He can't stand the praise and worship music. And what you do is, in order to appease him, this one person, 
you just go along with it. You say, okay, well, we're just not going to have any praise and worship music because, you know, of this one person who just hates praise and worship music, this deacon in the church that just can't stand it. We're just going to go into an appeasement mode where we, we go along with it. Now, again, I, I admit a lot of praise and worship music is repetitious, but you don't have to play those ones that are repetitious, that, you know, take three words and just say it over and over again. You don't have to play that. You can pick some good ones. There's some good praise and worship music. You know, these are the days of Elijah. That's a powerful song. It's got a powerful message. Now, I'm not saying, now, you know, this church, I'm not talking about getting rid of the old hymns. I'm talking about still using them, but the church would like to add some, some praise and worship music. So what I'm saying is when you go along with that one individual just to appease him, you've sort of hindered the leadership of the Holy Spirit with the rest of the group. Now, I'm not saying that the majority is always right, what the majority vote on. I'm not, not necessarily saying that because, I mean, suppose your church came up and said, we want to... Uh, allow homosexual marriages. Well, I mean, that's another story. No, you know, it's people, churches that do that are not following the Bible. It's not the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Forget that. They're not following the, following the Bible. I mean, there is nothing more clear than God's view of homosexuality and marriage. I mean, you, you would have to have, I mean, you couldn't miss this. With three brain cells in your head, you couldn't miss what God says about the subject of homosexuality, that it is an abomination, and, and gay marriages, that marriages is a man and a woman. You can't miss this. So people that allow that, allow homosexual priests, they're not following, forget the Holy Spirit, they're not following the Bible, okay? So I'm not saying the majority is always rules or anything like that, but I'm just saying if you have a church with individuals who have the Holy Spirit of God and they are wanting to move in a certain direction, you know, you need to take that as, okay, this, this is the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If you do have a church with people who have the Spirit of God. And you can't allow just one person to make these decisions because when you do that, you are limiting the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So the, the spirit of a church might be, you know, follow me and I will lead you into the promised land. I am your spiritual guru. I speak for God. I mean, we actually had something like this happen to us in our church one time. A guy claimed to speak in tongues and started speaking in tongues and decided to decipher that as he, that God was speaking to him and that now he speaks for God. And, and so you just have to discern these things. You know, uh, if you leave this church, uh, you'll never make it into the kingdom of God. And, and so you have to realize, okay, what spirit, the leadership of this church, what spirit are they under? Are they following the spirit of a church? Are they actually following the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Do they allow the leadership of the Holy Spirit to work through others? Uh, and again, in what way does this benefit God? You know, if you're in a church where they're, you know, you've got these authoritarian, you know, dictatorship who's making all the decisions and, and, you know, follow me and I will lead you into the promised land. I speak for God. If you leave this church, you'll, you'll never make it into the kingdom. It, it, how does that benefit God is my question. How does that benefit God? You know, Jesus talked about, you know, you do all this work. 
You know, you spend all this money, you do all this outreach to get one convert, and then you make that person twofold a child of hell more than yourself. You create a robot that cannot think for himself. In what way does this benefit God? It doesn't benefit God is what I'm saying. There is no spiritual growth. Spiritual growth cannot exist in an environment like this. So I'm asking the question, could you make it without the physical church, without other people, your dependency on other people, your dependency on the church? Now, there's a lot of things I've been thinking about lately. I've been thinking about lately a time when church is not allowed. You know, we have in power right now one of the most godless administrations, at least I've ever seen. And we've always had some form of, you know, godly and at least people that claim to be a Christian anyway. But we've never had a godless administration as we do today. So, you know, you talk about persecution. Imagine a time when if bars, the churches were shut down, church going was outlawed. What would you do? What would people do? They go to church and they got chains on the door. Church is not open. All churches are shut down. It's not allowed. You know, what would people do? And and one of the things that I've worked on, I uh, started this a couple years ago, is uh, a series on how to begin a relationship with God without church and religion. And I was really thinking about uh, the need to prepare a people for such a time as this when church was not allowed. Because I realized a lot of people just have a superficial relationship with God. In other words, going to church is what makes them religious. And I thought, you know, these people are going to need something to fall back on. They're going to need to fall back on a real relationship with God. And so the series was, you know, how to begin a relationship with God without church and religion. But anyway, um, let's, let's consider this. What is God's opinion of the physical church? We know, I guess we don't have to wonder. We don't have to speculate. We could speculate, but, but you know, in the Bible, there is sort of an opinion God gives us, an opinion of the church. And uh, it's found in Revelation. It starts in Revelation 2 and verse 4. We're going to look at that. But, you know, some people look at this as church ears and all that, but I, I'm not sure about all that. But what I do know is this, the statement, who has an ear, let him hear. If you have ears, then this is for you. In other words, if the shoe fits, wear it. Let's take a look at some of this. In Revelation 2 and verse 4, it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because you have left your first love. Man, that's, God is speaking to the church. And he says, you've left your first love. Does that describe you? If you compare yourself to when you were first called and first came into the church, first baptized, it says, you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, whence you are fallen and repent. Now, here's a church that needs to repent. And do the first works. Notice that. Do the first works when the zeal, the excitement was there. Or else I will come unto you quickly and remove your candlestick out of its place, except you repent. Now these verses go on and on and on. And in statements like, but I have a few things against you. God is speaking to the church. Uh, I have not found your works perfect before God. Skipping on down to Revelation 3 and verse 16. So then. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because, the reason I'm going to do this is because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. 
Oh boy, you know, a church in America, that probably could apply to any church in America, that, that attitude that says, look, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But God says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And one minister said, look, you know, not only have we been spit out, but the spit is drying on the sidewalk. I mean, we really, you know, God never sent a prophet to tell Israel how good they were doing. As a church, instead of patting ourselves on the backs, we ought to at least consider this, you know, God's attitude toward the physical church. Yeah, there was some encouragement there with, with these letters in the book of Revelation, but, but, you know, there was correction there. And, and what is it that we need to do? What is it that we need to change? What is God trying to correct? What is the direction that we are going? Are we allowing the leadership of the Holy Spirit to work in our church? These are questions. Self-correction, uh, self-evaluation as a church. These are things that we need to examine in our, in our church and in our personal lives. Now, it is my opinion, and it just is my opinion, that's, that's for what it's worth, but I really believe that churches of God will continue to decline in numbers. I mean, I know some people are looking for a revival and all that stuff, but I just the direction that I see it going right now is that these churches, churches of God will continue to decline in numbers. Maybe one of the reasons is with groups of people, you have, again, something called groupthink. And people follow the spirit of the church instead of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You know, another problem with the physical church is this, that, that most people that attend church are not contributors. Now, I think we've been almost like programmed to do this because, you know, someone else has always done the work, the work of evangelism, the work of outreach, and we've been taught and programmed to just pray and pay. And so... What you have in most churches of God is that most people attending are not contributors. They just take up seat space. Uh, and again, I ask the question, how does this benefit God? You know, I can just imagine God saying, look, too many of you are just, you know, of my people are just playing church. They're just taking up seat space. You know, the Great Commission says, go ye therefore into all the world. And uh, the attitude is, well, I've got to have a church organization backing me to do this. I can't do anything. I, who am I to go into all the world? Now, I'm asking the question, can you make it without the physical church? Here's another question. Can you do the work of the church without the church? Can you do the work of the church without the church? You know, I'm I'm fascinated with this story of the Ethiopian eunuch. I just want to touch on that in Acts 8 and verse 29. It says, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran to him. Now, first of all, how did Philip know? I mean, was there a voice? Was there a voice from heaven? Or was it just something that Philip felt? You know, I, I, I go near that chariot. And well, probably, I mean, I don't know the answer to that, how the Holy Spirit said that. Was it just a feeling, an inclination? I don't know. But, but notice what happens when he identified it. He ran. You know, so often we second-guess ourselves to the point to where we end up doing absolutely nothing. I'd wonder what kind of results we would get if we followed this example. 
that when we feel like, when we have some inspiration, some creativity, instead of just sitting on our butts, if we would just run and do it. I sort of take that approach, and I know that you will make mistakes when you do that because, you know, um, but at least if you're moving, at least if you're in movement, God can direct your steps. He can't direct your steps if you're just sitting there thinking about doing something. You have to be in motion. And so here, Philip, the spirit said, go and join yourself to that chariot. And Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I accept some church, uh, just kidding, some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now, you know the story. Uh, the man was baptized. You know, what hinders me to be baptized? Well, here's water. And he went down and baptized him. And the man received the spirit of God. And he went back home where there was no church. And there was nothing. What did he do? Well, he, he probably started sharing the message. He probably had his own personal evangelism. You know, I don't know. Maybe he built a church. I don't know. But uh, he went back to a place where there was nothing. So we're talking about following the leadership of the Holy Spirit and getting results. Are you aware of doing just that? Following the personal leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life and getting results. You know, recently with some of the work that I do with, is that really in the Bible? A man and his wife contacted me and said they wanted, wanted to be baptized at the feast this year. And I, I told them where I was going. I was going to the Church of God International at Myrtle Beach and he said, we want you to baptize us. And said, he made a statement in one of his emails. And we've been corresponding for a couple years. He said, you're the only one I trust. And I thought, well, you know, that's, in other words, the fact that the leadership of the Spirit of God led them to this point, and I was using an instrument, just an instrument, you know, that, that was encouraging for me. Could you make it without the physical church? You know, a lot of people are fascinated to find out that 2,000 years in history goes by before the first commanded worship service is found in Exodus 12 and verse 16. It says, and, and in the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And this is actually the first day, one of God's holy days, the first day of unleavened bread, where there was this commanded assembling together. But you know, people say, well, where did they go to church? Where did Adam and Eve go to church? Where did all these people go to church for, for the first 2,000 years? And I've always liked to mention that what they had was, I mean, I don't know where they went to church, but what I do know is this. They had the Sabbath day. And to me, the Sabbath is more, you know, some people would say, well, the Sabbath is about worship. And yes, it is about worship. But to me, the original purpose of the Sabbath was connectivity. It was a way God gave mankind in his law, in the fourth commandment, a way to connect with him, the creator, God. And, and one of the ways that we connect with the creator is through creation by disconnecting with our world, with our busy lives and connecting with God on his Sabbath day. So I, to me, I, it gives me a more deeper understanding of the Sabbath when I, when I realize that its original intent was connectivity with God. Because if you think about all the ways that are out there today in the world of churchianity, 
to connect with God. I mean, all the booklets, all the CDs, all the conferences you can go to, all the people, you know, again, writing books and producing programs and, and material and churches and the 450,000 churches that dot our land and the 600,000 preachers in America. You know, there's all kinds of people claiming they can help you connect with God how to connect with God. And yet here with the Sabbath day, God has his own method for doing that. If you want to connect with me, this is how you do it. You keep my Sabbath, a point of connectivity with God. Again, could you make it without the physical church? Let's take a look at John 4 and verse 20. I like this little story. It says, our father, this woman is saying, our father worshiped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, here's the concept again. I got to get to a synagogue. I got to get to the temple. I got to get to the tabernacle. I got to get to a place. to. I got to get to a building to worship God. Now, the concept is valid because you did have, you do have, you know, the temple, the tabernacle and all that, a place to worship God. And it is, it is an important point. But, it's, it's interesting what Jesus says at this point to this woman. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper, worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And this, this powerful statement that Jesus made here is, I, I believe it's a reference to the spiritual entity, the spiritual church, the one we read about earlier, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. In other words, we're talking about people who understand what God's agenda is as far as the soon coming government, kingdom of God on this earth. But basically, it's two things you've got to have to worship God. You've got to have truth, yes, and you've got to have the spirit of God leading your life. Now, at this point, I want to focus on just that point, the spirit of God, the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your personal life. In John 14 and verse 17 says this, I want to look at some scriptures about the leadership of the spirit of God in your life. It says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you. This leadership, this spirit is in you. There is this individual or should be this individual recognition of that spirit that is inside each one of us. In other words, you don't recognize that spirit that is in you through me. No, that's not how you do it. You as an individual recognize it in yourself. That's a critical point there. You have to recognize it, the leadership of it in your own personal life. John 14 and verse 26 says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said unto you. Notice that he's going to teach you all things. That is the spirit, the spirit of God that is dwelling inside you, um, provided that you have it, provided that you've gone through the necessary steps to receive it. 
accepting Christ as your personal Savior, baptism, laying on of hands, you know, okay, that spirit will teach you all things. John 15 and verse 26, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. So there's going to be this connection of the spirit that is from the Father. And I've mentioned before in some of my programs that my job is to turn you over to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as quickly as possible and get out of the way. Get out of the way. You know, there's something about this endless mentoring that drives me crazy, where people just can't get enough of religion. They can't get enough of conferences that they're going to. They're always learning. They're always studying. They're always trying. They're always sitting at the feet of their mentor. And they're, they're trying to, you know, this endless, endless mentoring, it drives me crazy. It really does. You know, what you need to be doing is being led by the spirit, the leadership of the spirit. And often that requires actions on your your part. God wants you to do something. You understand what I'm saying? It's not just learning. It's not just, you know, it's more to it than that. That God has an agenda. God has something he wants you to accomplish and do. John 16 and verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, I never noticed that before, but he's going to show you. The leadership of the spirit of God is going to show you things to come. What does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, you could take it in, you know, well... People would jump off and jump on the bandwagon of prophecy, but I'm not really talking about that. I'm just talking about discernment of the next step, what you need to be doing next, what you should be, things to come, what's in store, what you need to prepare for, what you need to be doing, things to come. You know, he'll show you things to come. I want to look at another verse, 1 John 2 and verse 27. It says, but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things. Notice that, that spirit that is in you teaches you of all things and is truth and it is no lie. And even as it has taught you, ye shall abide in him. Again, the powerful role of the leadership of the Holy Spirit, something that we should learn to trust more. You know, I think of the proverb, go to the ant, you sluggard. You know, you lazy louch, go to the ant, which needs no guide, overseer, or ruler. Now, I know that this message would not fly in the face of, of, of a lot of Church of God tradition, and I'm not saying that the ministry is not important. I'm not saying that church is not important. What I am saying is your individual awareness, connection with the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit and what it is doing in your personal life, identifying where it's leading you, identifying where it wants to go in your, the actions that you need to take in your personal life is important. That that's more important than just sitting at the feet of of men and going to church. The leadership of the Holy Spirit is important and to learn how to follow that. I think we in the church of God have also substituted a personal relationship with God for church and religion. You know, I did a program by that title a couple years ago. And when I first developed the program, I was not thinking about 
In fact, every program that I do with is that really in the Bible. I'm not thinking about Church of God people. I really am not. I'm, I'm, I'm looking outside the windows of your glass cathedral, you know, and I'm looking at the world and I'm thinking, how do you make contact with people in the world? And one of my concerns was that there were all kinds of people, sort of like myself used to be. I mean, I, I just, I could see through a lot of, it, you know, I would never connect with God through church and religion. And it took a calling to connect me with God. But what's out there in the world of churchianity would never have gotten my attention. And I know that. And so I developed this program on how to begin a relationship with God without church and religion. But I never intended and I never thought about people in God's church, the church of God. And I'm realizing now that it's, it's important for them also because I think, I think we in the church of God have also substituted a personal relationship with God for church and religion. Your first line of defense must be the leadership of the Holy Spirit. What you depend on must be the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Your ally must be the leadership of the Holy Spirit. What you look to first, what you trust, must be the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So, could you make it without the physical church? Yes, you could. And one day, you may have to. You may have to. Can you do the work of the physical church without the physical church? Yes, you could. And one day, you may have to. If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia 24151. Or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net.